Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham. Curling, curling. Magnificent all round. This is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low, Corey to Ling, and then Ling goes bang, and the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. The Cats further assert their premiership credentials. Essendon's spike continues as the Suns underwhelm in a game of high consequence. A circuit breaker for the Kangaroos, Richmond killing Richmond, and the Saints fail the test as the Bulldogs bite back. Hello and welcome to the Alan Lingy Show. Good to be with you again. Cameron Ling, you've had a couple of weeks to refresh yourself and get ready for the business end of the season. Welcome back. Good to see you. Oh, great to be here, Al. Thank you. Yeah, it was a nice little break with the family, snuck away, and they even took in a game of footy up there. The kids were desperate for their little taste of AFL, and there was a game at Metricon Stadium between the Suns and the Tigers, and I thought, yeah, boys, let's just wander along. That's a nice twilight game. We'll relax. It'll be a half-decent game of footy. Tigers will probably get over the line, but, hey, let's just go and enjoy it. Turned into one of the games of the year. It was unbelievable, the... uh, the kick from Noah Anderson was superb. I had three kids up on the chairs cheering, and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm going to have to show them a Cats game after this just to remind them who they barrack for. Convert them back to their origins, <laughs> Lingy. You can't have that. Um, Tuke Miller from the Gold Coast Suns is going to join us on the program very shortly. And let's start with the Suns because to go from that high of running down Richmond, being 40 points down in that game and really reignite their finals hopes. Richmond losing to North Melbourne, opening the door for Gold Coast. Their performance against Essendon was so underwhelming given what was at stake. Uh, and such a shock, Al, with the high of what they achieved last week, but almost discovered too. I mean, their first half was flat against Tigers and then they discovered, no, we need to play a certain way. We're not yet talented enough and good enough that we can just get by going at 85, 90%. We're going to be 100%. In the, the revs are in the red the whole time for the Suns. So they found that out and they got an amazing win. They got posit- positive affirmation from that. And then to play the way they did against the Bombers, they were awful. They were, there was no pressure. There, there was no fluency. There was really nothing. And, and sadly, when you get that happen, it's almost like you say to them, well, we may as well not have beaten Richmond. You know, we could have we could have just let Richmond win and then we win the one that we were expected to win against the Bombers and we still split those games one and one. What was the point? Um, that's the disappointing thing for them because I, not only being there and, and you, you get caught up in all the excitement of a kick after the sign, but I felt really great for them as a team and a club walking away. I'm like, they have discovered something. They've discovered a bit of heart and a bit of soul. And then you watch the game against the Bombers and... I start questioning why I was thinking that way. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, there was the 
Stuart Dew re-signing. The culture looks like it's being built the right way at the Gold Coast Suns. I mentioned the little opening they had to join Richmond on nine wins. Richmond in eighth position as it stands. They would have only been percentage behind them with a reasonable run home as well, the Gold Coast Suns. So not to suggest that they can't still make a run for it, but it does make it tougher and, and losing games that you would expect them to win or, or would expect to win if you are a finals side. It doesn't help at all. In fairness to the Bombers, Lingy, they have beaten now Sydney, Brisbane and the Gold Coast Suns, three wins in a row. So they're turning their season around and all of a sudden their list looks like it might have some promise. You've got young guys contributing. Nick Martin's done it all season right back to round one. But Hobbs is young. Durham's young. Um, you've got guys like Harrison Jones coming back into the side now as well. And things are looking a little bit different at Essendon when they were in a real hole. Yeah, and it's funny what happens when they play a little bit more positively too and, and they're taking the game on more and it's not that that junk that they were serving up in the in the first half of the year, but everyone was getting possessions galore. There's a, there's a genuine intent to the way that they're playing. Um, and you're right, some of those young players now, you sit up and take notice of them. But I think those young players are playing better because the more experienced players are playing to the standard expected of them um, consistently and aren't just in it to get a few possessions and, and just travelling along thinking, oh, I've got the numbers, I'm going okay. So I think because their performance is lifted back to a, a standard we expect of them, the experienced guys, the young guys are then able to thrive a little bit more. So, yeah, you're right. The Bombers have lifted. There, there's, there's positivity there. I'm still a little bit with you. If the Suns are a finals team... Coming off last week, they just go and do the job against the Bombers. Or at least, you know what, if they'd just gone down to Essendon in a thriller and it was hard fought and they were scrapping and fighting from start to finish and the Bombers won, I'd cop that. I, I couldn't cop the way they played. Mm. It was so different to what I saw last week. And it came at a time when I was starting to associate the word trust with the Gold Coast Suns in the way they were carrying themselves in the committed style, the way they were playing, the level of application, the fact that there were so many facets to their performances, everyone was contributing and everyone seemed to be on the same page in terms of what was required and then to serve that up today. Perhaps it is a one-week aberration, but it's a costly one at the very least. Yeah, it is. It is massively. And I'm I'm trusting more. I, I am, Al, with the Suns, uh, which which maybe I give, I'll give them that tiny bit of leeway of the letdown. It's not, it's not an excuse. It's a sign of still immaturity. But okay, Let's see how they respond next week. And let's see how they go from there. I think they've built up a little bit over the last six or so weeks, eight weeks maybe, where there's a level of trust coming into their play. Okay, with that comes the odd bad one still. If today was the bad one and they lock back onto what they've been doing, sure, I'll move on pretty quickly. I just didn't. I, I, I felt flat for them because they could have gone on a real roll off the back of what happened last week and, and it just was was super poor. Yeah, you look at their run now. So they've got the Q clash against the Brisbane Lions. So that's a tough assignment for Gold Coast at the Gabba. West Coast at Carrara should win that. Yep. Hawthorne at York Park in Launceston should win that if they're going to play finals footy. Would have to. Geelong at Carrara, North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. So that is a fairly favourable draw, but... They could have been in a position where they're only percentage outside the eight. So they still do have a chance to make the finals for the first time. Um, 
you'd have to think that Stuart Jew's going to take a fair bit of uh, out of the loss today in terms of learnings, what's accepted, level of effort, all of those things, and and perhaps they can can build on that in the remaining rounds of the season. It was a similar affair for Port Adelaide against Melbourne, although they really did offer up something against the D's and, and had their moments in that match. Lingy couldn't quite get over the line. Connor Rosie was superb again. Travis Boak outstanding for Port Adelaide. Uh, Melbourne ultimately won in fairly narrow circumstances, but Port Adelaide, like Gold Coast, had that opportunity. If they could spring an upset today, then they too would have gone to nine wins. So, It still has been quite a a credible or creditable turnaround from Port Adelaide, hasn't it? Given they were five or zip and five to start the season, looked like they were no chance to play finals, but they have got themselves back into some sort of contention to do so. Yeah, I agree, Al. That was a different sort of loss. That's the sort of loss I almost would have copped from the Suns against a really good team. I mean, Porter coming up against the reigning premiers and they pushed them all the way. And even when the game looked done, they pushed them again right at the end and, and not nearly pinched it, but at least made them work. That was, that was a lot of effort and, and, and still a good performance. The Suns was against a team that they, I felt they should have beaten. So that's the thing. Richmond left the door open in one of the most comical games of football that you'll see in a long, long time. And neither of those two teams were able to jump through that open door and uh, and grab that spot. So it's wide open again. But the whole eight, the top four, everything's wide open right now. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable, the climax that we're going to have to the season in terms of who makes the top four. And then I think you have seven teams pretty much who are guaranteed to play in the finals. I think Carlton will certainly still play in the finals. They've got the 11 wins on the board, their top four chances have been hurt by the loss to Geelong, obviously. Then you have Richmond clinging on and four teams beneath, the Bulldogs and Kilda as poor as they were, still in at Gold Coast, Port Adelaide. It's a real fight for eighth position. I know you want to talk about the Cats, Lingy. We need to go through that Richmond performance and, and obviously savour the moment for North Melbourne as well on the back of a tumultuous season, a very difficult week as well with the departure of David Noble. But next on the Al and Lingy show, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of the Gold Coast Suns. He's been a key part of building their culture. He's never wavered in his loyalty. Took Miller's going to join us next. The Al and Lingy show. He has become one of the more complete players in the AFL in recent seasons. He's been such a key part of everything good the Gold Coast Suns have done this season. Took Miller joins us on the Al and Lingy show. Took, thanks for your time. No, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it, given the you're probably coming off one of your more disappointing performances of the season. What do you put it down to? Yeah, you're right. Um, we probably, before that, coming off probably one of the best wins the club's had in its history. Um, and I guess as a team, you obviously want to follow that up. So it's just really disappointing. We we got beaten in contested ball against a team that we felt like we could nut them in that. Plus, we got out tackled and we let them uh, chain the ball and use it on a contested game. So essentially, it's one of those games, I'll be honest. We just didn't turn up. Um, I'll be able to get back on the horse. We've got a six-day turn and we've got Brisbane next week. Yeah, how hard is it to change that within a game, too? Because, I mean, it has been really a key element of the way you've played this season has been the committed approach from everyone on the field. When you see that's not quite there, how difficult is it to arrest that within a game? Yeah, no, it is difficult. I mean, I think anyone who watches modern AFL, it's all about momentum swings. Um, they got the first half of the first quarter. We had the second half of the first quarter. Um, I think that's when you just got to start leaning on your leaders. We've got a really tight group of seven leaders that um, deliver in every single line. Um, and it's how quickly can you get the blokes around you to get on board and 
I just felt like tonight we weren't able to do that. Uh, we probably had one too many passengers out in the field um, and we had one too many people trying to get it done. So when you limit it to too few, it's very hard to win games before. So you've always struck me as somebody who just prepares yourself so well for a game. Your standards never, ever slip. And even again today, just held yourself to a certain standard. When you look around at the group during the week, coming off such an amazing win last week, such a high, did you get any sense that there were just a few who drifted away and taken their eye off what the hard work that needed to be done again? Uh, to be honest with me, not really. Um, I don't think we're a team that um, can be entitled at all. And I think that every win that we get, we have to earn. Um, we're a team that's obviously we haven't had a lot of respect amongst the competition for a very long time and we finally start to get it. So when we do have wins like that, we can't just expect that we go to um, come down to Melbourne and just start to roll team. So I think for us, we just have to get back on the horse like we did. The win probably, um, you know, we sat on for a day or two. Uh, we got back to work Monday and we, we were into it. So I didn't think there was any drifters. There was no signs of that. Um, but I guess there, there was. So um, it's just how can we arrest that going this week? Is, is there – with because I, I still look at the group and there's experienced players, yes, but there is a, still a lot of young players in that group. Do you sit down at any stage and actually acknowledge, well, finals are right there? I know in the big, wide media landscape, you don't necessarily want to talk finals. But internally, you say, finals are there. We can do this. But – with that big picture there, we have to narrow our focus down to the tiniest little details? Yeah, you're right, Lee. Um, I mean, the carrot is the finals. Um, and I, to be honest with you, no one in our group's had an opportunity to, to do that. Um, and we have a chance to be the first team in history for the club to, to get to that point. Um, but I think, like you said, it's all about what are you doing week to week. So we even said after that between game, um, our next task was we need to go to Melbourne, we need to beat Essendon, and then we move on to the next game. So um, at no point do we think that Yes, finals is the bigger picture and it's something that we're striving for, but we're very well aware that um, to do that, uh, especially in the competition the way it is, you have to win week to week. It doesn't matter who you play. So your leadership, it's a credit to the way you've led this club, your loyalty to the club when others were leaving, you recommitted, you really wanted to make a, a successful organisation, a successful side on the field and do something special for this new club. Can you tell us what this club means to you? Yeah, I mean, I probably come from pretty humble beginnings in terms of the club that I spent my junior footy at. Um, and then once I got to the Gold Coast, I felt the same kind of atmosphere and the same type of team environment. And I honestly just wanted to see this success in this team. Um, and I think there's no other club bar GWS that has an opportunity to be the first, and that's be the first to the play in finals, be the first to win a premiership, take it back to the Gold Coast, a community that hasn't had much success with any team um, of any sorts in any sport. So... I think for myself, um, it's just one of those things that you get attached to. And I have a really big passion for the club, the people that are around us, the people that support us. Um, I just want to see success, really. And the way we're going to do that is what we're doing at the moment. We're just building the blocks and we know where we want to go. And everyone re-signing, all the key players re-signing, young talent re-signing with the club is outwardly you look at that and you see, well, there's something they want to be a part of here. What do you think has changed the club? Why, why does everyone want to stay and be part of it? Uh, I think you've got to put it down to culture, to be honest with you. Um, people want to stay at your club when you have a really good culture, and I think that's what we've tried to build ever since Stewie got to the club as well. You know, we've obviously shifted a lot of players. Um, there has been staff. There has been other people that have moved around, but we've got to a point now where um, boys do want to stay at the club. Um, they feel what I feel. They feel the same passion. They feel that they want to make this their own, um, and I think there's an opportunity for us as a collective um, with the group that we have right this very second 
um, that we can do something special. So I think that's what we, we've created with the culture over the last four or five years. Yes, it's been a slow process, but I think we're finally starting to get where we want to go. Can I dive into just for a second into what makes you the player you are and that the little things, clearly talent and all of that and a drive, but just the other things you do. Uh, I've heard of, you know, the, the breath enhancement training. I've heard of the detail with your recovery and all these little stories that come through. How much goes into the consistency of your performance week to week? Yeah, I mean, well, footy's not an easy game and I think you would know of all people that, um, to get the best out of yourself, you've got to maximise every 1% possible that's given to you. So, you know, every single pre-season, off-season that I've ever been a part of, I'm always striving for something a little bit more um, and what that can add to my game, whether that being with something small as meditation, my breath work, my mentality towards football, how can I increase my speed? How can I increase my ability to kick the ball and use the ball? I think um, it's just a never-ending journey. You just always want to strive to get better. So I think for myself, I've just always been someone who's really driven. And hopefully that's how I lead and how I rub off on other people as well. So if I can keep continuing to do that and drag more growth with my, uh, what I'm doing, I think it's going to be a better club. What's what's next? You got any other ideas? Do you obviously follow a bit of American support as well? And, and obviously yeah. a lot of what we take our lead from is there. Um, have you got any other ideas about what yeah. next offseason uh, might be? No, I do. I do. I've always got something up my sleeve. I know that. Um, I actually spent, funnily enough, my last off-season, I spent a fair bit of time with Ali Davis and Ironman and it's got nothing to do with ball skills, but he's got everything to do with mentality and how that you can back up week to week and um, the process that you have to follow uh, in order to get the best out of yourself. And I think that, you know, the more opportunities and the more open-mindedness you have um, to spread the love with people that you meet, um, the more opportunity you give yourself. So, yeah, I'm sure there'll be something else under my sleeve going into the off-season. And Tuke, um, the re-signing of Stuart, too, two parts to it, I suppose. What did it mean for the club? And it's hard to ignore for anyone the spectre of Alistair Clarkson, who's one of the greatest coaches of all time, certainly the coach of a generation. He's looming large. He's in every conversation. Any coach that is in charge of a team that isn't winning, he gets linked to. Did, did you ever fear for Stuart Jew's future at the Gold Coast Suns at all? Um, to to be honest with you, not really. Um, I felt that Stewie had built, like I said before, the culture and the club. Um, and let's be honest, it wasn't easy with the team that we probably did have um, to where we are now. It probably wasn't going to be an easy journey, but I had full faith and I felt like the club had full faith. Um, I think what it also creates when you do sign a coach like that at a point in time like we have is it gives stability to the club. Um, and I think that's what we all feel, both just for the players and for the staff around him. I think everyone can also just like step back and go, right, this is our team. This is our coach. He's going to lead us to where we want to be. Um, and yeah, this is the group that's going to yeah take us to the finals. Q Clash this week. Can you sum up your feeling towards Brisbane? How legit's this rivalry? No, I'll be honest with me. I've been here eight years and I can tell you the truth that I, I do dislike them. Um, that's just a fact. But um, they've also bullied us for you know, the last few few games that we've played and which really grinds my gears. So um, let's be honest, we had come off a bad loss. We need to respond. And I think it's going to really test us going into Brisbane at the Gabba and hopefully we can do one on. You're hoping Dane Zorko plays, mate? Yeah, yeah. To be fair, whether he does or doesn't play, it's up to him. But um, the more the merrier on the field for them, hopefully we can just uh, do the job and get it done. I, I love it, Al, because that's genuine, isn't it? That's And, and we in the media tend to try and pump up all these rivalries and often it's complete nonsense. There's no genuine rivalry there, but to hear you talk like that, it, it, it means something. And, and to be the team that Brisbane haven't been able to make that jump and, uh, and obviously get a flag. If you could in the next few years, pip them to do that. 
Oh, I can tell that would mean a hell of a lot to you. I think you're onto something there, Lee. I'll be honest. <laughs> 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 Turk, terrific chatting to you. Really appreciate your time, mates. And, um, and good luck for the rest of the season as you try and create some history for this group. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Lingy, I don't care who you're barracked for. If Took Miller was the captain of your football club, you'd feel like you were being pretty well served, wouldn't you? What a, a very professional young man he is in every facet, the way he talks, the way he prepares, the way he plays. He's a beauty. Yeah, he's a beauty. His standards just never drop. No matter when they were poor uh, as a team, I mean, and they were up and down and fluctuate all over the planet, Took Miller would be playing outstanding football. I found myself last week being there live, stoppages over near the side of the ground where I was sitting, sitting with my three boys, but my two older boys love their footy and are into it and they play their footy. That stoppage is just telling them to watch him. Do not take your eyes off Miller. Because they've watched the way he moves, watch the way he tracks the footy, watch the decisions he makes between offence and defence, watch how quick he is in his first step to make a decision to go and get the ball or to peel off and get a hand. All those little things, he's more impressive in person than even what you get on TV, and he's bloody impressive on TV. So, yeah, absolutely. I know he'd be bitterly disappointed and I appreciate him taking the time to have a chat to us there, but you know that that, that game next week, he's going to make sure he leads from the front and, uh, and drives his team to hopefully a, a really good victory against the Lions. Interesting you say that, Lingy. I was with my son at the Bulldogs-St Kilda match on Friday night, and we'll need to talk about that, but... I was doing exactly the same thing with Tom Liberatore and and it really caught my eye the way he runs, the way he works, the way he is always there. When the Western Bulldogs need someone to lay a tackle or mark Jade Gresham when he's loose inside the attacking 50, even though he was 100 metres away just seconds before, his skill under pressure, left and right foot if he needs to use it, his finishing around goal, it, it made me think if I was building a team from scratch, he would almost be one of the first 10 players I would pick from a pure effort point of view, clearance capacity, ball-willing ability, everything about Tom Liberatore to me is team man, team first. He's just such an outstanding player. Yeah, outstanding player, hard as nails, and you said with a team mindset and not worried about junk, not worried about just getting numbers. It's impact and impact at clearance and creating something for his teammates. And, yeah, you surround him with the right players too who can break away, leg speed, outside ball use and all that. Yeah, if you're building a team, good luck stopping it. If he's the one dishing it out to you, just... So that really caught my eye. What caught your eye across the round of footy, Lingy? Well, the rising star went nuclear. The battle for the rising star, it was big. I know everybody out there is going to say, Nick Dacos, what are you talking about? He had 40 touches and kicked three goals and was superb. And he's having one of the most magnificent first seasons that you will see. So, yes, he just jumped up a whole nother level. But also the battle of Sam DeConing versus the yes. Coleman medalist, first versus fifth at the MCG. It's all the, our wonderful listeners. Don't think it's just because it's biased cats here. That performance on a huge, a massive Saturday night game against one of the best key forwards in the game to hold him goalless, I think the first time in... Oh, since, since 2019. Yeah, yeah. thank you, well. Uh, I mean, that... It's a different type of game. It's not 40 and three goals, but in the role that De Koning plays, it is A++ performance. So it's not a one-horse race just yet. I think Nick Dacos has certainly got his head in front as he's coming down Flemington straight, but De Koning is certainly hanging with him and staying there and could 
with a big end of the year, who knows, might just grab him by a nose. It is a wonderful battle between two completely different types of young stars. Well, that's the difficulty. Just to clarify, around 9-2020 was the last time Harry Mackay was held goalless. How do you measure it? I mean, how do you compare those two extremely different players? You look at the Brownlow medal, for example. Verdon Howe way back won the Brownlow medal as a fullback. What fullback's winning the Brownlow medal these days? This is a different award, though, because it's not the umpires voting on it. It's people like you voting on it, Lingy. So how are you going to distinguish between the key defender whose role is to nullify and then the halfback flanker who, and I'm not sure why Adelaide didn't send someone to him given his dominance. He was just running around with no one on him in open space the whole time. But this accumulator, this polished player who can be so damaging, setting things up off the halfback flank and, and going forward now and kicking goals as well. That's the big thing where Dacos has elevated himself to a new level, goals. Uh, he's not just sitting back and, and across. A super smart player, super clean, composed player, can find it 25, 28 times off halfback, just the way the game's played these days. And he's done that earlier than most people would. But now that he's impacting forward half and kicking goals, that's just a whole new level. How do you split them? The fact that De Koning is playing not just as a key defender and getting the second and third uh, forward options and is solid and is playing really, really good for a young guy, it's the fact that he's getting the best player each time. Um, and, I mean, you could argue Charlie Kernow or Harry Mackay, but let's let's say Harry Mackay is. Um, Norton previously, Max King, all these types of players. He's playing on the number one. And in a battle of first versus fifth, it is better than a sixth versus 16th game. So 40 and three is special, but De Koning's performance is special. Now, Dacos perhaps might over the course of the season have more special games than De Koning. But it's not, it's not a one-horse race right now, Al. That's all I'm saying. It, it's a magnificent battle. I love celebrating. I love the award because it is uh, the other people who vote on it. Nathan Buckley's going to vote on it. Uh, Nick Rewalt's going to vote on it. Um, <laughs> Jared Healy's going to vote on it. So from a different generation. We're all going to have a different feel about the type of player we love the most and have perhaps even seen in person more than others. You can watch them all year on TV. But then if you've covered 15 of one player's game in person and nine of the others, maybe you got a slightly more appreciation of a player live. So it's a great cross-section of people voting. That's why I love the award. And every player that gets nominated is a worthy player who's hopefully going to have a really wonderful future in the game. You guys have got an interesting debate ahead. I I think Nick Dacos is more likely to win it than De Koning, but De Koning has been one of the most improved players across the competition to the point where he is one of Geelong's more important players in that defence now. But Nick Dacos, and, and you're part of this selection panel as well, Nick Dacos surely would be in consideration to be not only the rising star, but in the All-Australian team, wouldn't he? Uh, he? He will be right there in that discussion, Al. Absolutely. Um his, his, it's his composure and his ability to find a good target. And um, I, I do watch games, and I know you touched on the St Kilda game before. When you see St Kilda use the ball across half-back on Friday night and guys were getting 25, 28 touches, some were taking double-figure marks and just thinking, you have contributed zero to the game of football. You, 
you have played not even just a, an okay game. You have played an appallingly bad game despite having it 25 times and taking 11 marks because you've gone sideways, backwards, got it back and gone sideways, backwards again. Halfback flankers can do that and they can destroy their team's hopes of winning a game. Nick Dacos doesn't play like that. He finds that one on the 45-degree forward. He breaks the game open under pressure. He'll find a, a quick little kick or a good handball or he'll step around and he'll set Collingwood on a path to to an attacking option. He's got to be in that conversation. I, I don't I don't like hearing numbers when I when it comes to halfbacks in in AFL in a lot of teams because they're completely useless. In fact, they're they're costing their team. But those halfbacks that are get big numbers and use it and are creative, they are worth their weight in gold. And Nick Dacos is one of those. He absolutely is. Let Let's stay with St Kilda and the Western Bulldogs because the way we you frame to, Friday well. night. Sorry? Do we have to? Yeah, well, I think we need to discuss it. Um, we'll get to Geelong. We'll get to Geelong. Don't worry about that. But it was all framed around that almost being the sort of the last chance meeting between two sides who hadn't delivered as we might have expected this season. They were still just clinging on to some finals hopes. One side was up for it, Lingy, and one side fell so alarmingly short. House and Kilda could only lay 11 tackles in that first half of football. A couple of occasions in the first quarter where they did try and move the ball aggressively into the middle of the ground. Their skills let them down. They turned it over. They got scored against and then went completely back into their shell. They would not move the ball with any conviction at all. And the Western Bulldogs just ran rings around them until the last quarter when the game was over anyway. St Kilda managed to launch a few scoring opportunities, didn't capitalise on their work. The Dogs had done their work and ultimately won the game. That was a bitterly disappointing performance from St Kilda, and I'm sure Brett Ratton was just livid with what they produced. Yeah, Brett Ratton should be livid with what was produced. Brett Ratton should be livid with himself and his coaching group as well because the plan they had, the, the fact they took 158 marks, Al, and the way that they, even when they created turnovers in the corridor at about half back and then didn't even look to take it forward, look to turn and kick it to the boundary. It had to be game plan based. It had to be trained during the week. So that's on Brett Ratton as well. So he can be livid and and quite rightly so. The performance of Zach Jones and these types of players in the middle of the ground were just terrible. They got destroyed by Lever and Bont and these players. But he's also got to be livid at himself. That game plan was appalling on Friday night. It's not the way to beat the Bulldogs. The, The way to beat the Bulldogs is somehow to fight and scrap and and break even in the contest and the clearances in the middle of the ground because that's the dogs one would. But then when you do get it off them, you have to go straight at the last line of their defensive formation. You have to go fast through it because it is as vulnerable as hell and you can hurt them and you can score on them. What the dogs want is for you to, well, you've created that turnover. The dogs want you to then stop, go sideways, kick it to the boundary and lock yourself into one half of the ground, all the dogs formation can roll around and then Gardner and Keith and all these vulnerable defenders have got all the support in the world and they're as comfortable as hell and they create a turnover from a long kick down the line because the dogs are better at contested ball and away they go again and the dogs are back in the game. So Brett Ratton, turn the mirror on yourself as well if you're angry at anyone and your whole coaching group. Game plan was rubbish. Execution was absolutely atrocious. 
Important for the Bulldogs coming off a couple of bad losses to Brisbane and Sydney, but there was evidence in the Sydney win over the Western Bulldogs nullify Bailey Dale, and that's going to help you win the game. They completely took him out of that game, the Sydney Swans, yet Bailey Dale was back to running right again. And you would have to think that St Kilda had looked at that and seen if we can take him out of the game, then that's going to help us win. It was the evidence of the week before. Yeah, which again comes back to what was the plan? And I mean, I've got to guess the plan was we're comfortable with him getting the ball. Otherwise, whoever was asked to do it and they planned around it has just done one of the worst jobs I've ever seen. And even as a team, it can't just fall into one person. It's got to go, okay, if anyone is going to kick the ball out of this back line, it's going to be Ryan Gardner or Alex Keith. It's not going to be Bailey Dale or one of these other dynamic ball users that come off half-back. It's not going to be Trelaw who's, uh, who's using it off half-back or anything like that. It's got to be one of the other guys. So as a unit, we're going to make sure they're not the free ones. Well, it didn't happen, but it makes me think, did they plan for that? And it didn't look like it. I just think it was one of top to bottom, a shocking night for the Saints. Mm. Yeah, and let's see whether they can turn it around the Saints. They've got the West Coast Eagles in Perth. Again, West Coast not producing much of a performance against Hawthorne, to be fair. I did that match on 6PR at the MCG, and, and they didn't move the ball at all. It'll be interesting to see the style of play between these two sides because West Coast, it was almost like they were protecting the game, trying not to be beaten by too much rather than actually trying to win the game. And there were moments where it was like soccer, just camped in defence side to side. The crowd was getting really restless with West Coast's inability to move the ball forward. So Hawthorne won that game. That's now six wins for the season under Sam Mitchell and, and their boldness with the ball has been a feature right across the season. So yeah, St Kilda should win that game in Perth. The Western Bulldogs have a really tough match against Melbourne coming up on Saturday night, live and free on Channel 7. You'll see that match as well. If the Dogs could win that, that would be a huge statement for them. Both the Saints and the Dogs have this tough run home. So Melbourne and then Geelong at Cadinia Park, Fremantle at Marvel, GWS at Marvel and Hawthorne in Launceston for the Western Bulldogs. While for St Kilda, they'll play West Coast, Hawthorne, at Marvel, Geelong at Cadinia Park, Brisbane at Marvel, and Sydney at Marvel to complete the season. So if they get in, they're not limping in. They have to get through some really good opposition to get there. Richmond still in the box seat, but, gee, it was costly, Lingy, that defeat. And Damien Hardwick said it's Richmond killing Richmond at the moment, and that's exactly what it was. 22 behinds Richmond kicked. Jack Rewalt, two goals, six on the weekend. It was really out of character from him. And early in the game... Richmond were right on top, but they failed to capitalise. North Melbourne then kicked a few goals and, and got their tail up, and all of a sudden they had a bit of a hold in the game. And ultimately, when you felt like history would repeat, as Collingwood did against North Melbourne the week before, it felt like Richmond would run over the top. But they, they found another gear, North Melbourne. They were, showed a level of resilience that had been lacking previously. And under Lee Adams, first up, he, he gets what a few coaches tend to get when they come in and have a little honeymoon period, but the first win. And in fairness to David Noble, Lingy, there were signs against Collingwood that North Melbourne was starting to build. I, I mean, that performance didn't surprise me, and I don't think you can solely attribute it to the change in coach. No. There were moments within that game where it just looked like things were going North Melbourne's way. Balls bouncing the right way to go through for a goal. Richmond 
the ball bouncing the wrong way to go through for a behind. Moments of madness from Richmond. Jake Arts at the end of the game playing on, getting caught by Bailey Scott. It was just a this compounding of errors that led to Richmond conspiring against itself, as Damien Hardwick put it in the end. Yeah, and, and Dimmer put it perfectly. It was Richmond killing Richmond. And, and it has been now for two weeks, two really costly losses for the Tigers when in total control of a game against the Suns. And then in the flow of play, not necessarily on scoreboard, in control of a game against North, it, 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 was, the, it was the complete brain fade or um, lack of concentration by experienced players, though, that blew me away a bit. And Dylan Grimes on Zerhar a couple of times. He doesn't, Grimes doesn't do that. No way. No. Out of all the players, you think, okay, guy who's in his 20th game. Yeah, sure. He, he just got caught napping a little bit, ball watched, should have been onto it. Not Grimes. And, and so many times it was guys who I thought, well, hang on a second. No, that, they'll get it right. They won't make that mistake again. And they kept making it and kept making it. And I'm a, I was working at the game as well um, on radio and it was one of the most enjoyable games I've done for sheer comedy. Both teams, I mean, North Melbourne made more mistakes than I reckon I've ever seen a team make and have won the game. Um, And Richmond, I think at one stage I said, it's as though someone had got glad wrap and just stuck it over the goals at Richmond. It it (laughs) just could not go through. It it was impossible. Um, Bizarre, but jokes aside, Gee, it's a costly loss. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact that the Suns didn't capitalise on it and Port Adelaide didn't get the upset win over Melbourne means it's not as costly, but it's still a massive fortnight for Richmond to have dropped those two games when in control of both and should have won. Yeah, absolutely. And they were. You could make a case that they were in contention for top four. That's now off the table and they're going to have a – a really tough fight ahead just to make the eight with a few beneath them pushing um, St Kilda and the Western Bulldogs on nine wins just with an inferior percentage. Gold Coast and Port Adelaide, that one win back, as we mentioned. You've been very patient. We better get to Geelong. <laughs> a few weeks ago, you were still a little concerned with how they were going, but gee, you have to be taken with the way they're playing in recent times. They're beating everyone they need to beat. They're beating quality opposition, the likes of Melbourne and now Carlton in consecutive weeks. So yet again, Geelong, what is it? 13 out of 16 seasons they've finished in the top four. Time and time again, they do it. But do they look like a different team to you, Cameron Ling, this time around? Do they look like a different version? I know you go back a few years and they were not too far away against Richmond leading at halftime before Dusty Martin just put on the masterclass. And a lot has to go right to win a premiership. But do you feel like, are you starting to believe that it's real, this possibility? And I have for a while now. um, Going back a bit, their forward line is excellent. Their defence is absolutely rock solid. And especially with Stuart coming back in, we'll, we'll improve again. The midfield was my question mark, um, but that that had a little asterisk sitting there. The move they made with Patrick Dangerfield, a move they wouldn't have made a couple of years ago to say, okay, we'll cop some short-term pain, which hasn't, hasn't actually eventuated, hmm. but we'll potentially cop short-term pain, maybe drop a game or so without Dangerfield there to completely heal him as much as we can, get him fresh, body right, retrain him. We don't, we don't, need him for that six-week block in the middle of the year. We need him firing in September. 
that move was as bold a move as Geelong has made in a long time, and it could be the difference. Not because Patrick Dangerfield is the one individual difference, but he just adds that element to that midfield, which had me slightly doubtful about their ability in the middle of the ground. The St Kilda game worried me a little bit and the Freo game, but that's a long time ago now because I think as a group they've improved considerably. They're they're that changing game style is starting to become better down now. And then you add in this different dynamic element to the midfield of a fresh danger field. You've got a team that can, can certainly win it. That's stating the obvious right now. Um, well, we were talking about Sam De Koning before. De Koning's ability to be able to go and play as the key defender and actually hold it down, the flow and effect from that, which has meant that Mark Witsavs can now be the ultimate utility and pretty much mm. we spoke with James Kelly on radio on Saturday, and he said Blitz plays where basically wherever he wants within their formation as long as it's not the deepest defender or the deepest forward. Anywhere that he feels it needs to be plugged up. And as coaches in the coaching box, James was explaining it that they almost have to identify what he's doing at that time. Build a team around it. And then facilitate around it and go, oh, okay, Blitz is thinks that they need a little bit of help behind the ball. So he's just sliding in or he's playing in a bit more as a stoppage as a bigger body again, because Petrarca and Oliver and these guys are in there against the Melbourne. So they will then just try and massage around that. Well, that starts all the way back at a kid named Sam DeConing, because if DeConing doesn't hold that spot down, Blitzhaus has to play as the key defender. Um, I think that type of change and flexibility means they are a very, very different team. Combined with a forward line now that is so much better, so much more dynamic, Hawkins has been the constant. Super fit Jeremy Cameron now compared to an underdone Cameron last year. And Tyson Stengel. Stengel and Close, um, their level of play has just been outstanding, but Stengel is the one. I mean, credit to him for the way he's turned his career around and the Cats to have given him that chance and, and helped him on that journey. But... He has been unbelievable and was superb on Saturday night. Yeah, huge addition to your team. Absolutely. Tom Atkins, I reckon, as much as I always admired him as a player, he has really established himself as a player. Now, it's not just that tackling capability, but his ball-winning ability in tight as well. He's a he's a real asset for Geelong, and I think Geelong are in really good shape. Ling. Let's see what happens when the whips are cracking, but they've given themselves every chance yet again, the Cats. So... It's a good place to be. I think the, the Cats are right there, obviously. Demons certainly are still right there. Brisbane remain a, a huge threat. Fremantle, I still believe in. Shaky. I know they're inconsistent at times, but are we slightly sleeping on the Swans? Yeah, absolutely. That was where I was going to take the conversation next because as much as they're not in the top four at the moment, the Sydney Swans, they have got a bit of a run at it. So 12 wins. Brisbane and Fremantle both in the top four, 126%, 120.6. A win further back, the Sydney Swans with a percentage of 120.8. And it's the type of wins that they're producing now at the right time of the season combined with the run home that they have. So there's a match in round 22 where Collingwood will play Sydney at the SCG. That is potentially going to have huge ramifications for the top four with both of those teams in contention for a, a top four 
Perth. They've got Adelaide at the SCG, GWS at the SCG, North Melbourne at Marvel, that match against Collingwood, and then St Kilda at Marvel to finish the season. They have got a really good run home, the Sydney Swans, and they are a serious threat to finish they, within the top four. And they they are deeper now than I think I even realised. I mean, Warner's elevation in the middle of Amazing. the ground has, has been incredible. So it's another number. Callum Mills is the best two-way mid in the comp. No question whatsoever. He averages 25 touches a game. I mean, he laid 16 tackles last week. But he more often than not plays on the opposition's best midfielder. Not in a hard tag. It's not going all the way back to that. But he plays as an accountable midfielder, finds it, hurts teams, and limits the opposition's best midfielder. He's a superb player. Then you throw in Papley actually now starting to, to find his old form a little bit. I think the key defenders, the McCartan boys, are understanding each other more and more as they play games together. You know, even Hayward's just bobbing up for his goal or two again. Oh, well, there's, there's just other players. For so long, it's, of course, it's Buddy. Then it's Parker. Then it's Kennedy. And yeah. then it's Rampy. And it's all, all these wonderful, wonderful players. But it's... It's not them anymore and it doesn't need to be them anymore. And they're dynamic. So you look at a player like, you know, Errol Goulden, who wins the ball, uses it so well, finishes brilliantly in clutch moments within the game. And, and Warner as well, he's, he's an offensive weapon. He doesn't waste the ball. As you talk about so much, Ling, if you're winning a lot of the ball and not doing anything with it, it's a, a waste of time. But he doesn't waste the footy and he can go forward and kick goals as well and plays with this amazing confidence for a player of his age. So I agree with you. The Sydney Swans are the sleeper. They're just quietly achieving at the moment. And with their run home, they're going to give themselves potentially a really good launching pad at it. And I feel, Al, that they are better on the bigger ground. So I think their form is, is solid, but a little iffy at the SCG. Getting them the case for a bit. Yeah, getting them out on Optus Stadium or um, the MCG, I think they can open up, almost open up the engine a little bit more and use that ball-using ability and that run and Florent starts moving and things like If If they can get themselves in a position um, to launch in the finals, ladder position, they then get out on the MCG in a big final, look out a little bit. I, I'd be a touch nervous playing against them. Yeah, for sure. Where do you see Collingwood, Lingy? Because they're just outside the top four at the moment. They're the clutch team in the competition. Give them a close game, they'll find a way to win it, which surely builds confidence in your capacity to run out games as well if you keep doing it. They've now won seven games by 11 points or less, Collingwood. That, that's unbelievable. And winning the tight ones is so pivotal in setting up your season. Everyone would have to agree that they're a step or two ahead of where we thought they would be at this stage under Craig McRae. But but what are they capable of? I, I love what they're doing. I lo- absolutely love Craig McRae. I think you and I interviewed him last year on radio when he first got the job, and both we finished the interview. And we both looked at each other and just gone, "He's sensational." Wow. Yeah. So I love it. I, I worry that that type of record that you're talking about with results so far in their favour of close games isn't sustainable and eventually one or two of those go the other way. And if one or two, one of those happens to be in a final and they finish fifth and they're in a tight final but it happens to be the one that goes the other way and gone, season's done, 
that's the risk with them. The, the, the line is, the margin for error is so fine with Collingwood because they're, they are ahead of their evolution at the moment. So they could, they could upset a few teams and, and really go deep and get on this run and shock a few and think, well, hang on a second, hang on, Collingwood are playing in a prelim here. Or they could be one and done because that line is just so, so fine for them. Either way, I still absolutely love what they're doing and love their season and love what it's setting up for their future as well. Tell you what, Sunday football on Channel 7, I think you're doing that game this weekend at the MCG, Essendon and Collingwood. All of a sudden, that's got blockbuster written all over it. As much as Essendon are down the ladder, they found some form, three wins in a row, and Collingwood having the season they're having, the two rivals getting together, that is going to be absolutely massive. Just a quick one before we close it out, Lingy. What's your position on the discussion around Jack Ginnivan and the way he is being umpired with the head-high free kicks that he's seemingly not getting? Has the AFL overreacted or the umpires, have they overreacted or has Jack Ginnivan made his own bet and he has to line it? I, it should not be just for Jack Ginnivan. It should be any player who is doing it, then draw a line, the AFL. AFL, draw a line, say, if the player is clearly contributing to it, and they, we all know what it looks like. It's yeah. hard, hard for the umpires to umpire this, by the way, but we all know what it looks like. The drop of the shoulder, the lift of the arm, the duck of the head, whatever it is, just go 100% carte blanche, no free kicks. And they're going to learn and there's going to be some uproar for a week or two but these players will adjust quickly. Yeah. He's very prevalent. I saw Liam Ryan did it multiple times at the MEG. Cody Waitman does it. Joel Selwood's been a master of inducing high contact. Jack Ginnivan's doing it on a routine basis. It's creating this degree of conjecture and angst within the game. But I agree with you. It's obvious when a player does it. So either umpire the entire competition that way or declare that it is a skill and these little small forwards are going to do it. They've been doing it forever. The little, um, I'm about to get tackled, just handball out in front of me of the 70s and 80s KB and you get the grab of the jumper, holding the man, there's a free kick. If it's a skill, then umpire them all that way and say, bad luck, tackler's got to adjust. But do not umpire one player, Jack Ginevan, differently to the way that you are umpiring every single other player that you just named who is doing the exact same thing just because Ginnivan's the most high-profile one and has got under the skin of a few people. You can't umpire him and say, no, we're going to call play on because we know that you are doing this, but let 20 other players do the exact same thing and say, oh, no, well, it's a, that on, on those occasions, it's a skill. The tackler's got to adjust. Now, rubbish. Umpire but if you're, a, in fairness to the umpires, Lingy, if you're a repeat offender, then it's a known thing. If you're a compulsive liar or someone else is scrupulous and always tells the truth, well, of course, I'm more likely to believe the person that has a reputation for telling the truth than the bloke I know to be, you know, someone who constantly doesn't tell the truth. So in this instance, given Ginevan through his actions and the regularity with which he drops his legs is surely has in part brought this upon himself, hasn't he? Yes, he has. But just because it's the one that gets the most coverage, go and sit down and watch all these other serial offenders 
Who would do it? Are they, are they as serial offenders, do you think? Well, ask anyone who loves booing Joel Selwood whenever he gets the footy. They all think he is one. What uh, do you think? Liam Bates. Well, to me, it's been declared as an as a skill because the tackle starts on the arm, lift the arm up, you force it high, you get a free kick. You're just basically saying, I'm going to keep paying that. Well, the player goes, well, I'm going to keep doing it. Mm. So whatever it's been in the past is gone. It's gone. But make a call now. We're going to umpire everybody the same way. And if you and, and there's still going to be a couple wrong where and a, a player's going to get a, a high contact free kick on the replay. We're going to look and he go, oh, he's he's led in with that shoulder. That shouldn't have been. But the umpire was on the other side. Thought he was still upright. Cool, I can live with that. That's just a mis, either a little mistake or a, because of his line of his vision. But you can't just separate Ginevan from everyone. No. So I think if. If you're going to umpire it as an entire competition, one way or the other, hey, Al, I actually don't mind if the AFL comes out and says it's an art form, it's a skill, and we're going to pay the free kicks from now on. Really? Tackle, I just think it's so costly gun. because in the case of guys like Waitman and Ginevan, it's happening in a part of the ground where the cost of the decision is so high and they're both beautiful finishes and they're inducing a free kick. They're, they're manipulating the situation. And it's putting all the onus on the tackler. And the tackler probably has laid the tackle in a fair way initially. But but no, the driver's bonkers. I know which scenario I want. I want the one where they umpire the entire comp as if they've stuck their head down or led led shoulder, whatever it is, it's play on. But they're going to umpire everyone, not just Jack. Mm. But if they do go the other way, I mean, we can't talk about like this is a new thing that small forwards are trying to, or any forwards are trying to milk a free kick accentuate a little push in the back. So- soccer players, they go down when they, they think they're a chance to get a penalty. Don't go there, mate. We, we, <laughs> that, any chance you get to, uh, to, if you can manipulate a loophole in a rule to kick a goal for your team in a huge game, you're going to do it. So either say bad luck, we're going to pay it, or shut the loophole down and say we're going to call play on everyone, every one of you. And you know what? Every now and then you might get a legitimate high contact free kick. We're still going to call play on because we're sick of what you're doing. Either either way, what my main point of this is: don't just umpire Jack differently to all the other players who are doing the exact same thing. He just gets highlighted more, probably because yeah. he's wearing black and white stripes, probably because he's got bleach blonde hair. He's a bit of a divisive character. Yeah, he's a cheeky little small forward. So and everyone wants to get stuck into him. So we highlight him flat out. Umpires see it more, and they go, "Okay, we're not going to pay that anymore." No, do it to everyone. Call play onto the lot. Who anyone who does that type of motion, not just Jack. That's where I am. I'm completely in agreement with you there, Lingy. And I have to say, Ginevan and Waitman, I actually really like those two players. They are exciting, and they finish off. They're they're both so confident in the way they kick at goal. Two young stars in the making, I reckon. Gee, it's good to have you back, Cameron Ling. Nice <laughs> bit of robust discussion. I enjoy playing devil's advocate with you sometimes. You're always the voice of reason, mate. Oh, thank you, Al. Thank you. I, I did work on my tan on uh, the trip to the Gold Coast. Do I look all right? Yeah, how did you go? Yeah, no. I had the uh, the broad rim hat on, the long sleeve rash. Mothered in zinc. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is good to be back, Al. I can't wait for this end of the year. I mean, you... 
You try picking a top four right now. You try picking your top eight, and you try picking a premier. I mean, I I know who I want it to be, and I think he's looking very very nice. But that could change in two weeks' time. I mean, Melbourne get roll, really rolling again. Fremantle launch again. Brisbane get firing. Yeah. Hang on a second. Who's going to win it? I don't know, and I love it. I share your excitement about the end of the season, Lingy. I share a mutual respect with you, and I also share a similar skin complexion. <laughs> Can't wait for the next round to start, mate. Friday night, Richmond and Fremantle is going to be a cracker. You will see it live and free on the screens of Channel 7. Saturday night, the match for broadcast. Another huge one. It is Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Then Sunday, Collingwood and Essendon at the MCG. Ooh. Channel 7 will have it all covered for you. Lingy will be all over it as well, and we'll wrap it all up. Round 19 for you next week on the Al and Lingy Show. Good to have you back, mate. Thanks, Al. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.